0: Welcome to The CEO Story, brought to you by Casey Chohan, founder of Together CFO, where every week we're interviewing the top CEOs in various industries, sharing their journey and extracting the top things that made them successful. Good morning, guys. We've got a fantastic episode today. we got Chow Hee, one of the co-founders of Swenson He, which is one of the most renowned and best development companies in all of LA. Uh, Chow, thank you so much for taking the time. How are you doing this morning? Good, thank you so much for having me. Can you just give us a little bit of background about Swenson He and what you guys do, just to add some context to the conversation?
1: Yeah, of course. Um, So yeah, so my name's Chow. Um, uh, My partner and I, uh, Nick Swenson, we actually met um, more than a dozen years ago at this point uh, when we were fresh college undergrads um, at MIT. Uh, um, and so, you know, based on our our sort of technical experience, um, we joined forces a couple years after graduation, um, having learned kind of some, some of the ins and outs of both the tech side and also the client services side, uh, of software development. Um, and so for us, where we are today, where we've come since our founding, um, is we're, we're always striving to provide both that level of uh, client service that is best in class. Um, now, obviously the, the work product, the deliverable um, ha- is held to its own technical standards. Um, but for us, what we really put place a huge amount of emphasis on in addition to those technical deliverables is that level of client service, uh, making sure that, you know, we're creating long-term partnerships with, with clients that we're not just sort of in and out one and done. Um, and then on this sort of, uh, uh, we, you know, we're, we're still pretty small, um, but we've grown very rapidly and uh, we've had to always sort of pick and choose um, what kind of projects that we work on. And so we tend to gravitate as a sort of mission statement uh, towards projects that do have a large impact on, uh, you know, everyday life that people will actually use, interact with, that we're not just sort of stuck in the back office doing um, you know, whatever, whatever inventory management and accounting and, you know, while well, all that stuff is important and definitely needs to be done because we have the opportunity to pick our own projects. We tend to gravitate towards ones that, you know, we think will make a difference and people will actually enjoy.
0: No, that makes a lot of sense. So you guys, you know, you, you mentioned a little bit there, but you've, you've been rated as one of the fastest top 5,000 growing companies in LA by, I think it was Inc top 5,000 recently. Right. And you've yes. got a whole host of other accolades. So Firstly, congratulations for that. But what I really want to kind of learn more about is how you went from inception to growing such a fast-growing company and getting all these national recognition awards and kind of ultimately adding a lot of value back. So can we, you you touched on it there where you knew um, your co-founder from MIT and, and kind of being these smart guys out of university. How did you then translate that into a fully operational business that's actually generating a lot of revenue and making a big impact like you said?
1: Yeah, so we get asked this a lot. You know, um, I I would, I would, I would actually say that, um, you know, the first thing to mention here, uh, you know, we're only six years into this in the grand scheme of things, you know, we consider ourselves still young and scrappy. Um, And so, you know, reflecting on the past six years is, it, to us, it, it sort of does feel at times like, you know, we're still in the process. So a lot of this the, the kind of takeaways and stuff, um, they're still being proven. Uh, now, yeah, I mean, I, I certainly think that if I were to, like, try to encapsulate what we've learned in the last six years, um, a lot of it comes down to, you know, the first of all, Nick and I, we are, we're not only are we business partners, uh, we were fraternity brothers in college. Um, I've I was actually out on the East coast last week as he was getting engaged. Um, we're, we're in each other's lives as best friends as well. And I think the having a business partner, that's not, not, not necessarily that you have to be you know, a husband and wife or best friends or whatever. You just have to have a very, very good working relationship with them. And, you know, at times that comes down to, um, fully trusting the other person with a part of your business that's, you know, if in a perfect world you could do everything yourself, you would do everything yourself. Right. But, the way that we've been able to grow and scale um, has a lot to do with trusting each other, um, uh, you know, divvying up work such that we're not um, constantly bottlenecking. And, you know, in certain circumstances, we still become bottlenecks. But at the very least, we have two people that are trying to remove bottlenecks as opposed to just one. Um, And I think for the two of us, you know, being able to essentially trust each other to do a certain piece of the business has certainly made the work streams parallel. Um, but we also, uh, were very similar in, in a lot of regards in, the, in how we think about problems and so it, it does actually become relatively easy to, to, you know, be able to divide up work because if we already know and based on our experience, based on having known each other for a number of years before we started the business, um, that we were able to, uh, you know, think about problems the same and sort of come out with solutions that were nearly identical to the way we would have done it ourselves. I think that's given us a lot of confidence um, in each other's abilities. Um, Now, I think building on that, one of the other things that we have always held as a sort of central tenet to our partnership and also just our business in general, um, it even manifests in the way that we present our client deliverables, is that um, in this, you know, this kind of, Is sort of a cliche uh phrase but to never be satisfied and never sort of be just set in your in your path in the way that you're doing it and always sort of questioning every part of your every decision that you've made now it doesn't mean that you're always spinning your wheels but it means that you're always open to you know new ways of approaching things and stuff and so you know we've certainly pivoted a lot um you know our business today looks nothing like it did six six years ago or even two years ago um but you know over the years we have done a lot of been able to essentially you know through nick and i's partnership uh we've discovered that you know there are certain ideas that we come up with that may not have been the same as where what they were in the past and um always we can talk about this a little bit more but all the pivots and changes that we've made have i think that's that's been really impactful
0: i think that's really important because same with my business you know six year, four years ago when we started uh it's very different to what it is now when do you know when to pivot and when to kind of stick with whatever you're doing
1: oh that's that's a tough question um i don't know if there's a there's a true um you know barometer necessarily for that a lot of it comes down to um I mean, you're always looking backwards and you're always looking forward. Um, I think that's part of the reason why Nick and I tend to actually work together really well. We complement each other in a sense that Nick is very analytical. He will try to build financial models and literally he'll try to spreadsheet, um, you know, our entire business, um, whether it's forecasting um, or uh, retro, looking at, um, you know, profit margins and resource allocations and stuff. You know, he's very numbers driven. Um, And I think uh, when you, do become numbers driven obviously you can you can glean huge amounts of data and insights that you may not even think of um, when you're looking at you know raw numbers whether it means hey you know like we're paying these resources this amount of money um and if we were to swap them out for a different kind of resource that you know may introduce a new uh kind of uh, a different need but also provide you some benefit in terms of margin or what uh, or you know, the clients are happier, so they churn less. Um, that That's the sort of insight that you can really gather uh, using the actual data. But um, what I tend to, I tend to gravitate towards thinking about things a little bit more high level. Um, and I think when you remove yourself from the data a little bit, um, it sometimes is actually easier to then think about, okay, what's coming down the road, right? So for example, earlier this year, obviously this year, everyone's been talking about um, how is COVID going to impact the um, the, you know, just business in general. Um, uh, And and we're actually read an article this morning about how, you know, people were predicting this in the earlier this spring or winter that, um, you know, the summer with the higher temperatures would, um, you know, help alleviate some of the COVID spreading. And clearly that hasn't happened, right? (laughs) We have multiple States in the, in the United States that are just setting new records every day. And so um, when, when you have sort of this climate, there is, There's always the sense that, you know, you do need to be almost always thinking about how you're, how you're changing and pivoting that nothing is set in stone. Um, And, and I think that that it's a sort of a response to environmental factors. So um, I guess the way I'd answer your original question of, you know, how do you know when is you, you don't really, but you take your best guess and you go from there, right? Sometimes it feels like you are just staying the course and, sticking it out and making sure, you know, trying to get one more sale to prove your model. Um, maybe sometimes that's the way to, to go. And if that feels like what's right to you, if you're, you know, really believe in your plan, then, then do that. Um, but also sometimes, you know, it may seem like everything's going well and, um, you know, you've got clients coming in, you've got revenue, um, but something just feels like the music is about to stop. And, you know, it's just like there's something out there that may not, no one have may have connected the dot yet between what you're doing and what someone else is saying in the media or some other environmental situation that's going on um, or market situation. And if that just feels to you, like if you just have this sort of tingly sensation in your spine that um, things are about to change, then yeah, then you've got to get ahead of that. Um, you can't wait until things have already blown over.
0: So it's kind of being data driven, having a pulse on things and just kind of being aware and alert as much as you possibly can is, is kind of the takeaways I, I took from that. Yeah,
1: I, I would agree. That, so,
0: okay. As we get into kind of your business, how it's evolved and how it's grown, uh, how have you dealt with the sales volatility, the ups and downs, especially as you know, you guys are mainly project-based. How's that kind of affected the way you review things and kind of grow your business? Yeah, of course.
1: So we, um, To answer this question, I think it's, it's probably worth mentioning like why sales volatility, I mean, it's, it's, it, I think it's pretty clear to understand that sales volatility is a problem. Um, in, in my business though, it kind of gets taken to a whole new level. Um, and the reason I say that is because, uh, you know, as a sort of, let's call it a small slash medium sized development shop, um, each project represents a fairly significant chunk of you know your operations effort of your revenue um it's not like let's say you have a um you know a consumer goods manufacturer will manufacture somewhere between 100 and 200 SKUs, and let's say that like five of those SKUs aren't selling very well right well yeah five of them not selling as well as the other 95 percent um still means that you have you know a relatively predictable revenue stream uh for us the numbers just are there sort of a different level of magnitude um when you have uh you know let's say one project all of a sudden comes to an abrupt end because either the client ran out of money or whether someone on their side pulled the plug um or just whatever else uh, the case may be and that's certainly happened to us before in the past it does mean that uh, you know a fairly large chunk of your business is now just you know it's it's been Kind of adjusted, uh, corrected uh, away, and um, for us, you know, that's historically been some of our most stressful and our uh, it, it stressful and just ground-changing um, periods of time. When you know you've had to then scramble to say, okay, um, how are we going to deal with? Um, do we have enough cash reserves built up to be able to you know keep operations afloat um, when those projects go away? Can we fast track any, uh, you know, deals in the pipeline that are close to closing? Can we offer them any discounts to get them across the finish line so we can, you know, make ends meet? Um, At at times like that, you know, I I think um, each time it happened and it happened multiple times over the course of I I would actually point to there were there were several like historical periods of time um, when you could, you know, we can reference them literally like spring of eighteen fall of 16 like you know there just were times when big large kind of chunks of business would disappear um and uh, yeah clearly there's also times when you know like many new projects start all at once and then you sort of have a different problem right where you're kind of having to um you know figure out how to scale up very very quickly because you know you certainly you know you want these clients in the door um you don't want to have to you know send them somewhere else um especially because you know each project then you know if there's a possibility of becoming a long term sort of relationship with them um that you know it's obviously great for the business um i think for us you know what we've tried to do and to shift our and when i when i sort of mentioned the the kind of even the, in the last two years what we've tried to do to learn from that 16 and the 18 um uh the so called crises um is to be a be able to build our business in a way that's a whole lot more flexible um so we've done a huge top to bottom sort of revamp of fixed costs of um you know things that you just in in downturns you just are now saddled with all with all these costs um it, it it's a mixture of you know re- redesigning our our staff in a way that um, you know we've we've now and it's not that we've had to, we actually haven't laid anyone off ever Um, But a lot of it is about, you know, when someone decides to take a new position, we examine their position and say, okay, you know, in in your position, this position, can it be sort of broken up into like more components or can it be, can different components be combined in a way that we can sort of see some synergies? Um, And the end result is that, you know, we now have a smaller, leaner staff in terms of uh, fixed costs. We call them them fixed costs. So that's your operations, sales and stuff. I think that makes a lot of sense, especially at an early stage where you want to be agile and
0: flexible without that big monthly burden creeping yeah. up and getting a huge burn rate as like a technology company would have. Speaking of mm. which, when, when we talk about kind of technology and the shift and pivot, it makes me feel um, like I need to ask this question in terms of the shifted market demands from your customers from back when you started to now. How has that kind of changed? being in the, such a fast moving industry.
1: Yeah. Um, I think the way that we are, the way that I think the, the, the way we've seen changes in the most, the most profound changes are, um, it's originally when we started, it was very common for, you know, kind of like us, some people with technical backgrounds to then just put up, put up a website, say we do X, Y, and Z. Um, we can do the development and then, you know, just sort of do some search and SEO, um, get your, whatever, a couple of ads out there on, um, on your social. And then people would just start coming to you, um, for the technical development part of a, of a project. And whether that means that, you know, it's someone that has a app idea that they want to get an app built, which is, you know, for us, that was actually how we got started. Um, that seemed to have been the status quo more uh, in the very beginning. Uh, just kind of, you know, going to them for the technology, getting the tech built, getting that handed back over so that now you just, you know, everything else to do with running the business or running the product that uh, the, the new sort of new product for existing company um, was managed on the client side. Uh, what we've started to find is that as things have um and this kind of like, you know, with our growth story, as we've kind of grown, and maybe this is just because we're reaching farther up market, um, we're finding that clients are looking for a whole little bit more white glove service. Um, I don't like to use that term because well, white glove just to me feels a little antiquated. And it just it's kind of seems like, um, I don't know, just old fashioned, um, which I guess is good in some circumstances. But what I'm using it to define here is that it's, it's not just Technical development—that's that's really only one piece of a larger puzzle. Um, where you you know you first have to even in your discovery call, you're questioning, trying to get a really good understanding of what is it that what is the business challenge that the business is facing, or what is the market opportunity that this you know potential new product is is trying to address. Um, trying to get to the bottom of. It even comes down to things like you can unit economics, um, you know, proving that this is a viable business, uh, that there's a market for this, that customers will actually use this. Um, and I think getting to the bottom of all these questions, almost like a VC would do to you know any sort of like pitch that they would get, um, being able to truly understand if this is a viable product, um, then allows us to you know start with a not a not a technical implementation phase but a, you know, a product strategy phase, um, diving into, uh, you know, user journeys, um, doing market research about uh, whether that's focus groups, whether that's, um, you know, figuring out how we're actually going to build a product that users will actually use Um, and taking it from there then to the design phase, you know, beautiful UIs, building the technical product, testing it, market testing it, having tight feedback loops where you test iterations and get feedback on it. Um, so I think for us then we've, we've kind of seen that this process means it, it's, it's resonated with, with clients a little bit more um, in the sense that, you know now they, they, they feel like they have a partner that is providing them a whole suite of services as opposed to just, just sort of cherry picking the, the engineering and just handing it off the engineering. Um and then getting back you know whatever yeah, I think oh. I, th- I think that's very key in the world that we live in right now, where there's just more and more demands
0: on uh, vendors to to over deliver right in terms of like you said, you said white glove service, but I, I I understand what you mean in terms of giving more than expected I think is is the way I'm gonna phrase it so that you're always getting that five star review and it kind of keeps perpetuating the higher standard of what you're delivering. Um, you touched on this earlier a little bit about dependencies on bottlenecks between you and, and your co-founder. How, what are some of the tangible things that you guys do to kind of get around that? And what are some of the actionable items that we can give the listeners to, to really help them in their own businesses get over similar things?
1: Yeah, so um, I think one of the things that probably has helped us the most. Um, if I were to just off the top of my head, um, the, 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 important thing to sometimes is to just recognize that there are certain things. Okay. So i uh, sorry, before I even jump into that, um, the, the clear answer here, right. Is to try and set up processes and uh, procedures such that you can pass off a certain amount of what you do um, to someone else. I mean, that's the basic theory, right? Um, now in practice, what ends up happening is that, um, I think what we've identified is that as a founder, you do, you wear so many hats. We use this phrase a lot. We wear a lot of hats, right? We wear sales hats. We wear strategy hats, operations, finance, uh, human resources. I mean, like just, you know, as a founder, that's, you just do everything, right? So, um, the, the problem is when you think about certain roles and you're trying to build out your organization in a way that you know new roles will, you'll be able to hire people for roles that'll take over a certain portion of what you do uh, to free you up to then do new things, right? That's the basic premise. Um, the problem is that when you are doing that, you tend to, without even re- recognizing it as a founder, what you tend to do is you tend to project your own characteristics on these roles or on these potential candidates. Um, and the issue with that now, clearly the company still has to have your DNA um, and you know, the way that things are done, you know, if it's just done totally differently, it's not going to work, you know, as the CEO or as the founder, um, you know, you're going to clash with your employees. You're going to micromanage and that goes down a sort of bad rabbit hole. But at the same time, what you don't want to do is just project exactly how you're doing things onto this, this other person or be able to say that, you know, you're capable of doing, you know, X, Y, and Z, and this person, you know, the reasonable for whatever compensation, for whatever qualifications they have, um, should only be reasonably expected to do X. Um, And so then, being like projecting your own image, the exact way you do things, the exact speed at which you do things onto this, you know, this poor recruit. it's a recipe for disaster because then, you know, then you lose trust really fast. They feel like, you know, they're not being appreciated and it just, you know, its efficiency goes down and it spirals. And so I think one of the things that we've learned is that, you know, we kind of have to, at the moment of dissociation, which is when, you know, you actually are handing over responsibilities to essentially cut yourself off from thinking about you doing that role, right? Um, And uh, that is the sort of, that's an important lesson that we've learned um, is because you know, once you've set everything up, once you've kind of carved out a chunk for someone to do, um, you can no longer think of it like you're doing that um, and someone else is just replacing you in what you were doing. Um, so I think that's, that's probably one, I guess one takeaway that that's, that's been really helpful for us to be able to alleviate some of this, uh, this sort of founder dependency.
0: No, it's really, really important to be able to to have solid systems and processes. And we, we talk about this a lot, but I think uh, one of the frameworks that I really like is uh, is EOS. And that has a, a really strong basis of making sure you have a strong framework, systems and processes in place, but not overly do it. So exactly what you just mentioned there. So as we go to wrap up, I'd like to end with a question um, just to get your perspective on things. And if you had to allocate between three different factors, your success, how would you do that between drive, skill and luck?
1: Ooh, drive, skill and luck. Um, I'll be the first to say that skill is the least important thing um, for, for me. Um, yeah. I don't, I don't see myself as very, as very skillful in, in a lot of areas. I was, I'm always trying to improve that, but yeah, Definitely the lowest. Um, between drive and skill, I would actually, sorry, between drive and luck, um, I would actually place a relatively large emphasis on luck. You know, I think we we got pretty lucky at times. Um, our I mean, our founding story starts with a referral through someone random that, you know, happened to know this someone on a board of a small company, and then they just... Uh, you know reached out to us so we actually had a contract before we even started the company um, we've also gotten pretty lucky over the years with just you know a pretty booming economy let's put it uh, although who knows like this year's been kind of volatile okay. but uh, we've we've kind of grown to the point where we can handle some of that volatility um yeah so I, I would say luck is right up there with with drive drive is i don't get me wrong drive is like by far and away like if you were to just off the top of my head, if I were to say anything, it would be drive. I mean, uh, we, use the, we use the term driver like um, – uh, We Nick and I have talked about it like uh, grit. We actually look for the grit um, if someone is, you know, they're at the office 730 on a Friday night and everyone's out at a bar um, and they're just looking at it going like, if I were to just spend 15 or 20 more minutes and this would be perfect and then I can submit it and it would be, you know, done, done, I'm not going to wait until Monday morning. Um, that's that quality that like urge to just get things right and to be able to just grind your teeth through whatever pain or whatever, you know, missed opportunities and stuff. Um, I would say that is that we value that in our employees a lot. We certainly recognize in ourselves that, um, that's been one of the reasons we we've been able to get so far. Um, so I would, I would definitely put drive at the very top, but luck is pretty, not that far behind
0: awesome great well thank you so much for your time and your wisdom we appreciate you sharing with us and helping uh, all the all the people that are tuning in to listen so thank you so much absolutely and, uh, let's stay in touch sounds good okay Bye.